You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Hi. Hi. If you'd please find your seats. Thank you. Good job. Um, my name's Nate. If I don't know you, I know most of you. I'll be opening for Josh this morning um, with a prayer for us. So, uh, Father God, good morning. Uh, we come before you as your people. Prepare our hearts this morning to hear from your word. Uh, may be presented to us as truth, and may we receive it as such. Uh, we're going to look today at a passage where Jesus gives us another example of what the kingdom of heaven means and demonstrates how our thoughts are not your thoughts and how your ways really are much higher than our ways. Um, the scripture tells us there are ways that feel right and seem right to us, but they only lead to death. And we know this, and even in knowing this, even in understanding that your ways are perfect, we tend to not be satisfied with them. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed and that they shall be satisfied. Speak to us today, Spirit so that our appetite for God may grow and that we may look to you for our satisfaction. Help us with our entitlement. Help us with our pride, with our self-righteousness. And just humble us, Lord, so that we may be made into the image of Jesus Christ. Father God, we pray for Josh this morning, um, that he would absolutely trust you this morning, trust that your spirit will make himself heard through Josh's words, and that the rest of the congregation We'll trust that you have something to say to us as well. Lead us in your truth. Teach us. You are the God of our salvation. Um, We praise you, Lord, for the work that you are doing in and around this church. That includes home communities that you have built out of this body. Uh, Being in a home community, I have witnessed whole families grow in faith. I've watched the unbeliever confess Christ and be saved. Hmm. Over the last five years, uh, it's played a key role in my development. God, you establishing you back into my life. Um, we thank you for home community leaders and ask that you encourage and sustain them and keep them in all our minds so that we can be perfect for them. Uh, we've seen God over and over the community of hope, that you bless the community of hope, that we put so much prayer and that building and those people and you've continually and faithfully answered and provided. Um, I personally have seen fruit from this ministry, struggling families, Improving their situations, homeless women, children, finding housing, finding work. Uh, we ask them to continue to bless them um, and that our relationship with them and that their work be glorifying to you. Yesterday, local churches came together in North Portland in the form of Compassion North Portland to put a free medical clinic together. Um, Lord, it's just neat seeing your people band together to take care of the poor, to take care of the sick. Um, and as St. John's grows, may we just be people that maintain an involved presence here. Uh, You continue to work for Compassion, Compassion North Portland, in those clinics, um, and then we continue to put those on in your name, God. Father, so much happens on a day-to-day basis showing how broken the world can be. Um, Help us today not to fear a violent world. Help us not to fear the results of elections and coups. Uh, Help us not to dread sickness. Help us instead rest in your sovereignty, in your control. 
there's no authority except for you, and those that exist have been instituted by you. Hmm. Remind us that a fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has that life rests satisfied. Whoever has that is satisfied. Satisfy our longing souls. It is in you, Father, that we desire to worship. May our confidence be in you, and we bring these things together to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wait, take it. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate you leading us in, uh, in our congregational prayer this week. Um, I want to say thank you to, uh, to you guys as a church uh, for giving me some vacation recently. Uh, we went back home to uh, Mobile, Alabama, which is where we're from. And so I'm very grateful to have a job that uh, will allow me to have paid vacation. And so thank you for that. I also want to thank you for everyone who stepped up while I was gone. Uh, it's, it's nice to be able to go on vacation and not have to think a whole lot about all the things that aren't happening. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I love the people that we have serving, the many hands that we have kind of carrying the load here at Red Sea, uh, that I can go away and relax and know that everything's taken care of. And people stepped up and, and preached and, and led worship and did the day-to-day operations of the church. So really, really good time, very relaxing for me. But I also had a little bit of a, of a problem, and it's not so much when I'm on vacation as much as it is when I come back from vacation. Um, every time, and you know, we, we, left, uh, our, we left our home, Mobile, Alabama, um, almost a, over a decade ago. It was in 2005. And, uh, and then we moved up to Portland here in 2007. And every time I go back home uh, and spend some time, I just, I just get real envious I don't know if anybody else struggles with being envy over what you don't have or wish you, wish you had. Uh, and, and just a couple of things, it may be silly, but there's a couple of things that I just get envious of when I go back home. I get envious of the price of houses, right? I mean, it, it's just amazing how much home you can get down in the South. It's just a real affordable place to live. Uh, and me and my wife, even as a joke when we go home, we'll pull up a website and just look at home prices just to see. And it's just crazy what, what you can get down there in the South. And I just get envious of that. I, I, I love like old historic homes. And you can, you know, get an old historic home for $200,000. It's 100 years old and has five bedrooms. And it just makes me real jealous, you know. Uh, another thing that I get uh, envious of when I think about home is, uh, is the size of the churches back home. Um, I know they say size doesn't matter. Uh, but when it comes to church, I, uh, I just struggle with that sometimes uh, because the, the irony about the South is you can do church really bad and still have a big church. You know, it, because it's part of the culture, everybody goes. And so up here, you can do church really well and like very few people will want to, will want to be a part of it. And so I just struggle with that. I, I get envious. There's a part of my ego that says, you know what? If I was a pastor back in Alabama, I, this and, and that. And so I kind of struggle with, this, with these envies. Uh, another thing that I envy is a family. Uh, we have uh, generations. I have 250 years of generations of my family back in Mobile, Alabama. And, uh, and when I go back, uh, I enjoy spending time with the family, but I'll be honest with you guys, there's also some perks of the family. There's beach houses and sailboats and hunting camps. There's party barges and there's, there's fish camps and there's fish fries, by the way. There's, uh, there's Grand Bay watermelon. If you guys haven't had a Grand Bay watermelon, you're just missing out. I know they, you guys like Hermiston, but it's awful. Just, just, this is bad. Uh, but I miss that. I miss family. I miss family perks. Uh, and even this silly thing, I really miss the weather, right? I, I envy a good thunderstorm. 
just lightning and thunder crashing and rain just pouring down. I love that. And up here, you know, we hear the thunder. It happens like once a year. Now, I don't know what it is for you. I don't, I don't know what, what you envy. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a, uh, somebody else's job that you have. Maybe you would like to have their job instead of your own. Maybe it'd be your boss's job. Maybe it's like me and it's just physical things that you envy that other people have. Uh, maybe it's a relationship that, that you envy. Maybe you envy somebody else's spouse. Maybe you envy somebody else's kids. Envy is kind of a part of our, of our broken humanity. It's kind of filtered into, into all, all the aspects of our life. Now, wanting things is not bad in and of themselves, if, if it's good things. We know that those things are not bad. There's nothing wrong with a good desire. There's nothing wrong with, with ambition. But when we look at how far we are willing to go to see a desire fulfilled, that's a good marker of whether or not that desire has turned into something that is unhealthy for us that we as Christians would call sin. So if you ever want to know if a desire has turned into sin, look at what you're willing to do to see that desire fulfilled. And if you're willing to constantly be envious, if you're willing to begrudge the generosity of God, then I would say that desire has probably turned into something that we would call an idol in the church. I struggle with this on a daily basis. I struggle with saying, God, why can't I have? Or maybe it's not wrong to ask God for things, but what about demanding God of things? Have you ever said the word, I deserve this? I deserve to have a child. I deserve to have this certain type of relationship. Maybe if you're single, I deserve to be married to this particular type of person. Anytime we use the word, I deserve, ultimately what we're saying is, God, you are holding back. Now, I know we don't think about it like that, right? I mean, we don't, when we say things like that, we don't honestly think, oh, God is holding back on me. But when we look at the way that we're living, that's actually what it says. We are entitled to something that we think we deserve. This is what happened last week when we looked at, when Royce talked to the story of the rich young ruler, right? We got this rich young guy that comes to Jesus and wants to inherit eternal life, and he's followed the law. And he says, what more must I do to be saved? And what does, God tell, what does Jesus tell him? I want to sell your possessions and give them to the poor and follow me. And the man left sad. That was because his wealth was something he felt that he deserved. It had defined him. It had become his identity. And it was also the thing that kept him out of the, the kingdom of God. So a good thing like wealth, like money, can become an ultimate thing. Whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's your possessions, whether it's your ho- hobbies, all of these things we have to hold very, very loosely because we do not know what it is that God may ask us to give up. Jesus didn't live a very materialistic life. So we can't be surprised when he asks us to give those things up. Well, after the rich young ruler leaves, the, a conversation begins in the text between Jesus and Peter. Now, Peter is that disciple that is constantly uh, vacillating between really trusting Jesus and who he is and saying these really, you know, dynamic things like, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And then at the next moment saying, uh, I'm not really sure what's going on here or who you are or, or what's going on or what, what you're doing, Jesus. And he does it in the passage, right? If you guys remember, Jesus and Peter sit down and 
they have this dialogue, and, uh, and Peter basically, in a, in a moment of, of boldness, turns to Jesus and says, um, you know, Jesus, you said that the rich young ruler isn't going to get into the kingdom because he's not willing to give up his possessions. But what about me? I, I've given up everything. You remember, Jesus, like we were fishing on the bank, me and my brother Andrew just kind of hanging out, and you came along, and we left everything. I left my job, I left my family, and we followed you. What's in it for me? Wow, what a bold request. I mean, think about that. Peter's basically telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, if, if, I want to know where this thing's going. I want to know what's in it for me. And Jesus, out of his generosity, turns to Peter and says, hey, Peter, don't worry. Anything that you, that you, leave, that you leave in this life, you're going to be rewarded in the next. You, you will have places of authority. When I sit on my throne, you will have a place of authority judging inside of that. And anyone who gives up houses or possessions or relationships for me and for my kingdom will be rewarded in the next. Okay? Now, this teaching of reward in the afterlife isn't something that's unique to Christianity. It's taught in almost every major world religion, right? What we do in this life has implications on what happens in the next life. This is the reason that an extreme jihadist would take a truck and drive it through a crowd of people celebrating a holiday because that person has been taught and they believe in their theology, that what they do in this life has implications on the life after it. And the more damage they can do in this life, they will be rewarded for in the next life. Well, here's the thing that makes Christianity so unique. Jesus tells his disciples, it's about what you do in this life. It does have ramifications, but it's about being last in this life that makes you first in the next life. That's how he ended the conversation with Peter. He says, you want to be first in my kingdom? Then you need to be last. You need to learn to put other people ahead of yourself. One way that we do this real practically that I believe Jesus is going to drive home in the story of this parable, the way that we can become last in order to be first is by learning to be satisfied with what God gives us and not being envious of what other people have. When we are envious of other people's things, it is showing it is basically saying that we believe that we are more important than that person and that God is holding out on us somehow. And let's be honest, this is something that we all struggle with. It's something that we need to talk about. It's something the disciples struggled with, obviously. It's the reason that three times from Matthew 19 to Matthew, the end of uh, Matthew 20, Jesus says the last will be first and the first will be last. Anytime Jesus says something three times, we should listen to it and realize that not only was it a cultural idol back then for them, but it is today for us also as the church. So how do we learn to be satisfied? How do, we, how do we not wind up like Peter saying, hey God, what about me? Why don't I get or why don't I deserve? The primary way that we do this as God's people is by what we call speaking the gospel to ourselves. There's truth. The gospel is a, is a set of truths about God, who God is and about, about sin, about who we are and about who Jesus is, right? And there's a particular truth about the goodness of God that we have to constantly be speaking into our own lives as we feel envy and jealousy creeping up inside of us, as we have these wants and desires, and, and we look at our actions and what we're doing to see those things fulfilled. If I'm willing to neglect my family in order to work more, in order to get this house or to get this certain promotion, 
If I'm, ordered, if I'm willing to compromise my values and my morals that God has handed down in order to be in a relationship with someone so that they will love me and they will accept me, then I obviously have idols in my life. I have these things that I am searching for that have come into my heart and they're now taking the place of God. Royce identified four of these idols last week. He said there's four heart idols that we all struggle with. Power, control, approval, and comfort. And we have to spend time examining our hearts and saying, okay, when you look at my actions, what does it say about what I truly, what I really believe to be true about God? So the answer to these hard idols is looking to God, looking at His, generation, His uh, generosity, doing what we just did in these songs. How great is our God? I see the stars, I see the rolling thunder. And I believe that, that you are greater than all of these things. It's easy to sing those songs. It's hard to let it filter down into your day-to-day life and the way that you live. But the first thing we do when we see these idols creeping up in our hearts is we repent. Like, we acknowledge that they're there. Repentance is turning away from something. But it doesn't stop there. We must have repentance and faith. If repentance is turning away from that thing that I want more than God, faith is then turning toward God. It's beholding the beauty of God and wanting Him more than we want that thing. This is what Jesus is going to try to do for Peter and for all of His disciples. He's going to try to paint a really big picture of God and of God's generosity so that they won't live like God is holding out on them and they won't doubt Him. And they won't spend exorbitant amounts of time and money and resources having all these things that God may not want them to have. So we need to learn to do the same thing. We have to learn to behold our big God. When we went on vacation, one of, uh, one of the real fun things we did, we spent the first five days that we were there staying with my father-in-law. And he has a place down on the river. And he has a party barge. How many of you guys have ever been out on a party barge before? Like three of you. Okay. A party barge is what it sounds like. It's a, a big boat that you party on. Uh, it's got pontoons, and you can get a whole bunch of people on it, and they go kind of slow. You've probably seen these before, right? Uh, it's not like a boat that you ski behind. It's just kind of like a cruising boat, right? So we all got on the boat. The family invited some neighbors along. And what we would do every evening about sunset, which in Mobile was about 8, 8.30, we would all go get on the party barge, and we would start sailing down the river. It was really awesome because we would watch the sunset uh, over, the, over the bay and, 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 and down the river uh, on the Alabama uh, Tensaw River. And um, then as, we would, uh, as, as the sun would set, we would get out the flashlights and we would start looking for alligators, right? That was our favorite thing to do is just get, get it out there. And it was so funny because the whole time they were saying like, like there's, there's an alligator out here. There's, there's alligators out here. And they're like, oh, there's one. I'm like, no, I don't see it. No, I don't see it. There's not, there's not one there. And finally... Maddie, do you remember what happened on that last day we were out there looking for the alligator? We're, we stopped the boat because we saw some guys that were actually alligator fishing, or hunting, I guess you would call it. And so we're sitting there, and we're just going to kind of watch them to see if they catch one. And we look over to the side of the boat, and we're at a 16-foot party barge, and there's an alligator about half the size of our boat. He's just right there beside us. He's just kind of floating along. And we all kind of like got real quiet and just stared at him. This is my gigantic thing. Not to mention, he was literally like 500 feet from the beach that we swam on every day on the river. It's Alabama life, people. It's just how, how we roll. Side story. My favorite thing about it, after we'd see the alligator, is we would get out in the middle of nowhere on, these boat, on this boat, and we would get to really see the stars, right? 
You ever been someplace that's so dark, you can just see the stars kind of within the stars, within the stars? You know, us city dwellers here in Portland, we see five stars at night and get really excited about it. But when you get out in the, in the wilderness, you get out in the, in the, where it's dark, you can see all these stars. So we were, we were, we were going along on this boat, and uh, Maddie, me and Maddie were laying on one of the couch things up front, and she had her head on my chest. Remember, we, we have, I have an app on my phone that you hold up, and it shows you what all the constellations are. It kind of pulls your camera up, uh, and it's called Skyview. So we were looking at all the constellations. We were finding all the different planets, the stars that were planets. And, um, and we were just talking, me and Maddie were talking about the stars, and I said to Maddie, I was like, hey, Maddie, do you know that every one of those stars is actually a sun? Like the size of our sun or bigger. And she was like, wow, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine, right? I, th- I think it's true for us too. We don't go out at night and look up in the, look up in the sky and say, look at all those suns. Look at how, how big they are. What we see is stars. And unfortunately, that truth filters into our life many times. We look at God and we see a little star. And we forget how big God is. And the resources that He has available at His disposal. And when things don't work out like we think they should, we try to force God's hand. And we say, I deserve. And in the moment that we're saying, I deserve, we're also saying, God, you are really small. I can't trust you to fight my battles. I can't trust you to provide for me. I have to do that for myself. Jesus, he's going to tell them a parable that demonstrates how big God is. To remind the disciples of who they are following. And my hope for us today as a church, and I believe God's word to us today is a church, as a church, is to trust that he is big enough to handle whatever is going on in your life. You do not have to force it to happen. Let's read Matthew 20, 1 through 16. I want to invite you guys to stand up as a church. We stand in the, in the honor of reading God's word. And then stay standing after we're done. We're going to pray. Matthew 20, verse 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go out into the vineyard too, and whatever is ripe, I will give you. So they went out. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Now here's here's the key of the passage. 
am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do, you, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you uh, just confessing that your ways are not like our ways, that we have accepted certain things into our lives that we know do not line up with your word and do not line up with who you are. So, Father, I would just ask that as we look at who you are now in your text, we think back on who you are in your story inside of our lives, that you would open up our hearts to trust you and to see your generosity, and you would become bigger than our circumstances. You would become bigger than our wants and desires, and we would be a people that trust in you. Would you do this for us today, Father? We ask it in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. So there's a couple of truths here that we can learn about the story. Now, the story's a parable, so it's typically a make-believe story. Parables are meant to teach us something about God's kingdom. This particular parable teaches us about the nature of God. But here's a few things that we learn from the parable. There's a master, right? A guy owns a house, he owns a vineyard, and it's harvest time. And so he goes to hire workers, which wasn't you know, for a harvest, you would need people at that one particular time. We still do this now. He goes to the center of the town where the laborers would gather to be hired in the marketplace, and he begins to hire workers. Well, we know from the story that the day, the work day, is divided up into a 12-hour day. Historically, the day started at 6 a.m. and ended at 6 p.m. You think you had a long day. They did this six days a week, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., And the going rate for 12 hours of labor, of hard labor, apparently, according to the parable, is is a denarius, which culturally, once again, is worth 12 hours worth of work. You get a denarius for that amount of work. And the first group that he hires at 6 a.m. agrees that this is a fair pay, right? Well, then the master goes back out throughout the day in three-hour increments. He goes back at 9 a.m. looking for more workers, He hires those workers. He goes out at noon and he hires these workers. But this time, instead of telling them that he'll pay them a denarius a day, he says, I'm going to pay you guys what's ever fair. Well, they're not going to complain at this point. They're just glad to have a job, right? They weren't hired. They weren't weren't probably the young, healthy guys that were hired at 6 a.m., right? These are the ones that were passed up. But Jesus, I'm sorry, the master goes back and he hires him. He says, I'll pay you guys what's ever fair. So he does it at 6 a.m., at 9 a.m., at noon. He goes back at 3 p.m. and he hires another group of workers, says he's going to pay them fair. And then he goes out an hour before the workday ends. 5 p.m. He's still looking for workers. And he finds some people who are idle in the workplace. Uh, that are idle. He says, why are you standing here? They say, hey, nobody's hired us. He says, you too go into my vineyard and I'm going to pay you. Okay? We get the parable so far? Well, here's the interesting twist. The, the, the workday ends. The, all the, the workers line up to receive their pay. And the master tells the guy that's paying everyone, I want you to pay the guys who worked the least amount first. So line them up, 5 p.m., 3 p.m., noon, uh, 9 a.m., 6 a.m. people. Line them all up, last to first, and start paying them. And I want you to pay everybody the exact same thing. So they pay the first group, right? They get a denarius. Well, these group of people are, are excited, right? They just got paid for 12 hours worth of work for doing one hour. I mean, you guys think $15 minimum wage is good. I mean, these guys just got it. Amazing deal. Well, then it goes to the next group. 
And they get paid a denarius too. Well, the guys who are at the end of the line, they're getting excited. They're thinking like, if those guys are getting a denarius for one hour's worth of work or for three hours worth of work, we're going to make bank. Well, then as he starts working his way through, a, through the line, it's a denarius and a denarius and a denarius all the way to the end. And everybody gets paid the exact same thing. Well, as you guys can imagine, this creates some uh, unrest in the work environment. I mean, these guys are grumbling to one another, and they say, we bore the burden of the day in the scorching heat. Why did those guys get paid the same thing that we get paid? I earned this. How dare you be generous to somebody else because of all of my hard work? Well, this is where we learn a little bit about the master. Not only is he generous, but look at his response. The master turns to the workers who are upset. He calls them friend. And he says, we agreed on a denarius a day. You need to take your money and be satisfied and go. How dare you begrudge my generosity? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me. Remember, this is meant to teach us something about the kingdom of God. Now, this parable is not meant to be how to run a successful business. This is an awful business plan. That's not the point of the parable, right? It's meant to teach us something about God. Now, historically, we can read this parable and say, well, this, is, this parable is just, is just picturing something bigger that God is doing where he's bringing the Gentiles into the nation of Israel, right? We can imagine that, that the Jews are the ones that have worked hard. They've been following the law for thousands of years at this point. And now all of a sudden the gospel is going to these Gentiles who don't deserve it, who haven't done the work of the law. How dare God do that? Like we can see this parable being a picture of that larger work that God is doing. But that's not what Matthew is talking about. So we know that that's not the point of the parable. The parable is meant to teach us something about the generosity of God. It's meant to answer Peter's question of, so, so God, you're you going to take care of me, right? Am I not important to you, God? So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a step back looking at the parable because there's not a whole lot there. That's all really Jesus gives us to work with. And I want us to do four things. I want us to look at what does this teach us about who God is, the nature of God. If God incarnate, Jesus is talking about God, the Father, then it teaches us something. So what's, what's that teach us about God? Next, what is it exactly that God has done that makes him so generous outside of this parable? The third thing that we're going to do is say, well, then who are we in light of that? If we kind of inject ourselves into the parable, who are we? And then lastly, what is it that we should do? What does God want us to take home as we leave here today as a church? So what do we learn about who is God first off? What we see in this parable about God and what we see in many places in the, in the story of God is that God is the master. It all belongs to him. Let that sink in. This is not your stuff. This church building is not ours. Your home is not yours. Your job is not yours. Your time is not yours. Your bank account is not yours. Your children are not yours. Because you did not create all of these things. Someone beyond you did. 
God is the master. It all belongs to Him because He created all of it. We are just servants. But here's the thing about God. God is a good master. This is where we don't like using terms like master to refer to God because we have such a bad interpretation of master. All of us are constantly under other people. There's always someone that has authority over us, right? My boss has authority over me. The government has authority over me. The police have authority over me. I feel like my children sometimes have authority over me, right? We're always under authority, under sinful people who are always abusing that authority. But God, because He is master, He is also completely good. And so there is no wrong way in Him. So however He chooses to give as the the owner of all resources is good. It's a good gift. Right? That's a truth that is easy to stand here and say. It's hard to let that filter into the way that you live out your daily life. But let's start with this truth that God is master and God is good. What is it that makes God so good? How has He been generous? Well, we know 2,000 years later after this parable that Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of the goodness of God, right? He's the ultimate demonstration of the generosity of God. The next thing that Jesus is going to say, He's going to get His disciples together or that Matthew is going to record Him saying, He's going to gather His disciples together and He's going to say, hey, we're at Jerusalem now and I want to let you guys know for the third time that we're going to go here and they're going to mock me and they're going to flog me and they're going to crucify me. But don't worry, I'm going to be raised on the next day. Why? Why all that? Why all these stories? Why all of this back here? Why thousands of years? It's because God knew that we were in this place, that we envy and that we boast and that we want what we cannot have. And God said, I'm going to come and I'm going to save them. And Jesus is going to be the demonstration of the generosity of God. I mean, we can even see Jesus inside of this parable, right? God's the master. We are the begrudging laborers who think that we, we are owed something. But what does God do for those begrudging laborers? He doesn't just pay them what's owed them. He does the opposite. is He gives them what they don't deserve. So in the story, we're that, we're that guy that only worked an hour, right? We're the one that, that didn't deserve what they received but it was a gracious gift that God gave us. That's what Jesus is. He's he's the the ultimate example of the love and the, the grace of God. But here's the cool thing. Not only is he the, the master who gives the material possession, not only does he does he forgive us of our sins, but he also does give us good things, doesn't he? We're the ones that don't deserve it, and, and God rewards when we work for Him. We can all look back on our journey with God and see generosity in so many ways. If we will just stop and take the time to, to be thankful, man, we have so much to be thankful for. When we think about it, when we step back from our circumstances, we realize that God is so generous to us, and He has been so far. He created all of this. And although we, we try sometimes to, to, to be obedient to God, we try to do the things that He teaches us to do, more times than not, we wind up messing it up, right? 
We wind up continuing to destroy this beautiful thing that God created. We are the guy that drives the truck through God's image bearers, right? When we destroy people and we think badly about them and we want what other people have and we're envious and we're covetous. But God said, I love you and I want to prepare a way for you. I care about you. So now that we've seen who God is, we've seen who we are, who, what He's done, who are we in light of that? Well, we're the, we're the servants, right? He's placed us here as stewards. But not only are we just servants of the Master, we're servants that have inherited the vineyard. Right? We've moved from servant to child. And if you think God, if He's going to hold out on you as a servant, He's not going to hold out on you as a child. Jesus has actually brought us into the family of God. And so now we receive the grace of God, and in return it makes us a gracious people. Right? This is why we use the identity language here at Red Sea of servant, family, and ambassador. That's who we are. We're servants for God. We are family with God. And we are ambassadors representing the kingdom of God. This is how we should live out our life. So here's where it gets real practical. What then should we do in light of this? First off, we should just be thankful, right? I mean, really when you think about it, when you think about all that you've brought to the table for God, we see God's incredible generosity upon us. And it makes us so thankful, man. When I look at, at my sin and my rebellion against God, when I look at the fact that He gave me a vacation and I come back complaining about all the things I don't have, right? It, it's just evidence of my sinful nature inside of me. And so I repent of that and I become thankful and I say, thank you, God. Thank you for my house and my job and my wife and my, and my circumstances. Thank you for Portland's awful weather for six months. I love it. Thank you, God. This is your generosity upon me right now. And you may give to somebody else. You may allow other people to live someplace where I want to live. Or you may give them the house that I want. Or you may give them the, the, the amount of money that I want. Or you may give them the, the physical appearance that I want. But as an image bearer of God and a child of God and a servant of God, I am experiencing the greatness and the glory of God right now. That should lead us to thankfulness, right? This is a part of Doug's prayer that he prayed a few weeks ago out of Philippians 4. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Do not be anxious, or rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand in everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayers and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We should be a rejoicing people. Second thing that we should do is when you feel that envy and that desire creeping up inside of you, remind yourself, speak the gospel into your own life of the generosity of God. When you hear it inside of the community, I want you guys to speak the gospel to one another. This is what God gave us to work with. It's His truths, and we speak them to one another. So let's get in the habit of speaking the gospel to one another. And the last thing, church, please do not measure your worth by your or anyone else's accomplishments. Anything that we have 
is by the grace of God. And anything that we do not have is by the grace of God. If we lived out that truth, man, what would it say about who God is? I'm going to finish here by reading out of Philippians 2, 3 through 11, because I believe that it just really sums up who Jesus is and and what he's done and who we are and, and what we should do in response to that. It's going to be up here on the screen, so you feel free to follow along. And I just want to encourage you guys just to, just to close your eyes and bow your head and, and just kind of think about this truth and let it sink down deep into your hearts. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to it only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus demonstrated that the first will be last and the last will be first. As we come to the communion tables at the end of our service, I pray that you would come in repentance and faith. If there's any sin that we need to repent of, let's come. Let's let's confess that sin to God and let's replace that with, with the generosity of God. As we take the bread, we remember the sacrifice that was paid for us and we experience the grace of God all over again. And then in turn leads us to be a gracious people. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this parable. God, I thank you that we can actually know you. Father, that you're not some mysterious unknown, but you revealed yourself to us. And so we can know you and we can know your ways, Father. And so I pray that as, as a church, as we worship and as we sing right now, that you would bring out any of these false idols we have, any of these things that, that we're living for, whether it's power, control, or approval, or comfort, that you would bring those things out and we would confess them as our, as our idols, God. And we would replace them with the truth of who you are and your generosity. And we would be able to leave this place in the security of knowing that you are good and you are generous. And we would not fear whatever happens But we would, like the song said, say that our God is greater and our God is stronger than any other. And that would affect the way that we live our lives, Father. Blow our minds with your grace, God. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.